Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org. If you don't want to miss our newest upcoming speakers, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications. This podcast is self-supporting, so if you enjoy this podcast, please put a dollar or two into our virtual basket. You can find a link for this in the description. And if you know someone in need, please share this with them. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brian. My name is Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Chris. Oh, grateful to be here. Uh, recently, I've told my story a few times, so those of you who have recently heard it, you're more than welcome to fall asleep. I will not feel uh, bad about it. Or if you want, you can, as Chris is going to do, point out my embellishments as I go along. So um, based on the description of alcoholism I just heard, I'm a real alcoholic, but alcohol is, alcohol is not my problem. That was my solution. My brain is my problem. And the way I think is my problem. The way I respond to other people is my problem. And the way I get myself into trouble is my problem. One of the most important things I've heard in the rooms of alcoholic was a senior member of our fellowship who once said, I have no problems. I thought, what are you talking about? I have no problems because I don't cause myself problems. And boy, that's true for me. When I, when I just keep my mouth shut more than anything, I just don't create those problems. So my sobriety date is May 14th, 2016. Um, I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. I have a couple of groups that I would call home groups. One is an online group. Another is a, a meeting at Karen that I go to uh, that I hold online. Um, and uh, I'm not sponsoring anybody right now, but certainly open to it. My drinking kind of is, so I would say about 20 years ago when I drank, I'd have half a beer, I'd fall asleep. It was no fun whatsoever. And at some point, maybe about 10 years ago, alcohol started to invigorate me. And instead of falling asleep, I, I, it, it got me going. Uh, it took out the social anxiety, the ability to talk to other people, and so forth. And in the year leading up to my bottom, when I decided I had a problem, um, my drinking just took off. There was absolutely no control. At the time, I was living by myself, so there was nobody there to put the brakes on, and I drank until I ran out. But usually if I ran out and places were open, I'd go out and get more, or I'd fall asleep, or I'd pass out, or I'd black out. I'm very fortunate, prior to getting into recovery, I didn't have any work problems, legal problems, problems with the profession I'm involved in, but I was probably no more than a couple weeks away from having big problems, because I was starting to drive a lot to get alcohol when I was clearly drunk, and I think it would, there but go the, but there by the grace of God go I. So I am incredibly grateful that that didn't happen. But the day of my bottom, my real true bottom, so I got sober in 16, my real true bottom was in January of 14, over two years before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I was home drinking alone, it was January, 
and I don't know if any of you remember January of 14 in this area, it was really cold. I mean, single digits for multiple days. I went out on the deck of my, at the back of the house to have a cigarette, and when I stepped on the boards, it sounded like they were gonna break. It was so cold. And I'm standing there, and I'm kinda wobbling around, no coat, probably didn't have shoes on, you know, very good alcoholic thinking. And um, I thought to myself, I'm gonna fall over. And I fell over. I could not get back up. And like the good alcoholic, I thought, you know what? I just need to take a break, gather my energy. I'm gonna close my eyes for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's probably two degrees outside. I don't know how long I was laying there, but I heard somebody scream my name. Now the back of my house is a stream and woods. There's nothing behind there. My neighbors on either side, I really can't see them. Um, it was not a human being, not, not one of us who screamed my name. It kind of sounded like my mom and she had been dead since 2009. But I got up and thought, I'm, I'm in big trouble. I need to get back in the house. And somehow I got back in, I lay, was laying on the floor and I thought to myself, I better not tell anybody that this happened because they're gonna think I have a problem with alcohol. <laughs> and clearly I did. Uh, and I swore to God, I would never tell anybody. And here I am telling you all tonight uh, about this. But I continued to drink. And at this point in 2016, it was just, you know, if I, if I worked during the day and next day I was working the evening shift, I would start drinking, probably sometimes drink in the morning. Uh, and there were periods of time if I was off for four or five days, I was drinking the entire time. The major consequences that I have were relationships. Many of my relationships were damaged or destroyed by my drinking, lying, cheating, and so forth. Um, now, I grew up in a, in, a, in a family where there was not that much drinking. Uh, I think at one point my father may have had some problems when I was older drinking, but that kind of straightened itself out. My mom is a, uh, was a daughter of an alcoholic. I didn't know this until after she died, and it kind of explained the way she was. Um, her father drank constantly when he got home. Uh, she was the oldest. She had a sister and brother younger than her. And her mom, God bless her, she was one of the funnest people you'd ever meet, but not real reliable, liked to have fun. She didn't drink, so my mom really kind of ran the house, I think. Um, so I have alcoholism on that side of my family, as well as people who have been uh, uh, but affected by alcoholism. My dad's side, not too much, I don't think. Uh, it's mostly German, but you know, Germans are born with a special liver. They can drink as much beer as they want and they don't have any problems. Um, and when, when my drinking got out of control, I started thinking about things like, I have a problem, I don't know what it is, I think it's work, I need to move or I need to get another job, or I need to do this, or I need to do that. Um, I was seeing a psychiatrist at the time for depression and anxiety, and I thought at one point, maybe I should mention that I'm drinking, and I thought, well, he's not asking, so it must not be important. <laughs> but he was increasing my medication because of my anxiety, and my anxiety was being fueled by my drinking because I'd be anxious, I'd drink, I'd feel better the next day, a little bit more anxious, drink a little bit more, and it just was this vicious cycle. On the day I got sober, 
was Friday the 13th uh, of May, 2016. And I was driven home three times from two different bars. And on Saturday morning, I woke up on my bed, uh, no, on my couch. Somebody had peed my pants Mm. And I had no idea where my car was. And I had this flash in my mind that I had crashed my car. Now, I was okay. I wasn't hurt. But I seemed to recall maybe driving off the road. So I live in Sinking Spring, and I went over to the barbecue pit where I had been, and there was my car. So the day before, I wound up going up to Ganley's to meet a friend of mine, and she and I had lunch, and I had already been drinking. And uh, she said, I'm driving you home. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. She said, no, I'm driving you home. So she drove me home. Went to sleep, woke up, got in my car, went back up to Ganley's. And uh, I thought, no, I got a taxi back to Ganley's to get my car. And I thought, you know what? I'm here. I might as well have a, a couple drinks. So again, I passed, passed out, blacked out. The next day, I remember I'm outside. Uh, they're sitting me down, and they called another cab. Take me home. And I got another taxi. Back to Ganley's. Now I drove to the barbecue pit. And I went in, got a six-pack of beer, and thought, oh, while well, I'm here, it'd be a good idea to have a couple shots. I was out again. I don't remember anything after that. When I went back in with my six-pack of beer to very intelligently have a couple shots, I'd set my beer on the bar, and the manager said, well, let me put this in the fridge for you so it doesn't get cold. When I got when I woke up on Saturday morning, there was my beer in the garage, and the only thing I could think was, they could have at least put it in the refrigerator for me. But they didn't, I finished that, and I called for help. Um, I was in rehab for eight weeks. Uh, I knew I had to go there. I knew I had to physically be separated. Uh, my kids at the time, three older kids, they came, uh, they were with me. Um, I probably could have convinced them that I was fine. I, I'll stop drinking and I'd have been drinking right away. I knew I had to be held accountable, so I um, turned myself into the, uh, uh, the board that uh, uh, provides my license, that allows me uh, my license to practice my profession. So now I, I've uh, kind of outed myself as to what's going on. Um, the day after I called them, and I called and talked to a very nice woman, she said, Let's, we're gonna talk about it here in the office, I'll get back to you in a couple hours. And she said, we, we think you have a problem. Now there's a joke for those of you who've been at Karen, they have a five day evaluation that usually turns into a year staying for six weeks. Um, and they said, you, you can go for that, but you're probably gonna need to stay. And I figured at that point, I'm gonna need to stay. Um, and then the day after, I started thinking, now I haven't had a drink for three or four days, so my brain is kind of a little bit clear, and I'm, I started to panic. I have no legal issues, no work issues, no problems, nobody knows anything, and I thought, I gotta call these people and tell them it was a big mistake, I was just kidding, I'm really not drinking heavily. I didn't do that, and I went to rehab. And it was the best experience of my life. Um, I have never laughed more, I think, in my life, certainly in the previous couple of years. And I experience that all the time when I go to a meeting, uh, the laughter. You know, we're not a glum lot. 
the first time I went to an AA meeting, five years before I went to uh, rehab, I had, was dating a woman, and she had told me about a year before she went to rehab that she had been in rehab twice before, and I said, but you drink. And she said, well, they told me in rehab I could drink from time to time. Now, I'm in a profession, and I should know better than that. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds a little weird, but all right. But I was told to go to Al-Anon. And in Al-Anon, I learned the 12 steps. And that was very useful, because five years later, when it was my turn, when I woke up that Saturday morning, I realized I had a problem, that my life was unmanageable. It was because of alcohol. I knew I had to find something greater than me, and I was ready to surrender. I was done. Now, I wasn't thinking about the th those first three steps, but that's what happened. It was almost like boom, boom, boom. And it's only because I had been in Al-Anon before. Um, went to rehab, got out, didn't get back to work right away, and went to lots and lots and lots of meetings. Was downstairs every morning at 8.15 for that meeting. Went to almost every evening meeting, uh, and sometimes got to some meetings during the day. Um, and I probably did maybe 120, 130 meetings in the first 90 days. I had to be at those meetings to not go insane because I was really crawling out of my skin. And over time it got easier and I started doing the things I was told to do. I read the book, I met with the sponsor, I started working on the steps, uh, I did service. Uh, the 815 meeting was my home group for quite some time. And all of those things kept me out of here. And that's always been my biggest problem. If I get in here and allow this to go, it's going to take off into sometimes really cool places, but often really awful places. Lots of guilt and shame related to not seeing my kids as much as I should have. That drove my drinking. Uh, guilt and shame about previous relationships. Guilt and shame about work. I mean, just guilt and shame about everything. And that drove my, drove my drinking. Well, that didn't go away when I stopped drinking. I no longer had something to kind of push that back. And I had to stay busy. I had to stay in the rooms. So I had to stay connected because this brain was about to take me out again. And over time, doing what you all told me to do, doing the steps, finding a higher power, doing service, talking to other alcoholics, I've managed to quiet that. But the most remarkable thing that's happened is being able to catch it, catch my brain when it's starting to go off. So I was meeting with a therapist maybe about four, five, six months after I got out of rehab, and we're talking about being mindful. So being aware of what my brain was doing at the time. And that's kind of a little bit different than just being in your brain and doing your thing. And we're talking about different techniques, and I thought, I said to him, I wonder if there's an app for that. <laughs> there is. It's called Mind Jogger. And what it does is you set it up to randomly throughout the day, as many times as you want, a, a Buddhist gong would go off. That was the tone I had. And when I started it, every time that gong went off, I was in my head. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And just recently, I realized the reason the gun was always going off when I was in my head is because I was always in my head. 
<laughs> but within about two weeks, I was able to catch it within about 30 seconds. And then it was 15 seconds. And then 10, 10 seconds. And now it's almost instantaneous. I'll think of something I want to say at work, and it's like, none of your business. Keep your mouth shut. And it's unbelievable how that's happened. And a lot of other things have happened that I can't explain. I don't know how these things happen. I don't know why my life has become so amazing compared to what it was like when I was drinking. Well, I do know. I have a higher power. I've worked the steps and so forth. The other thing that I heard that's really played a big part in my recovery now uh, was the Thursday night meeting in this room. I heard somebody say, just kind of a thing that she said, I, ha I don't need anything. I have everything I need. And I thought about it, and I do. I have everything I need. Um, I have clothing, I have food, I have shelter. And thinking back, you know, I grew up with five brothers and sisters. My father worked, he worked hard. We didn't have lots of money. It didn't have, you know, Christmas wasn't a, a great time. There was all these things I wanted but I always had what I needed. And when I start thinking about the things that I don't have and I get the poor me's and all that sort of stuff, I remember, Chris, you've got everything you need. When I have a problem, 90% of the time, if I drop my cell phone and break it, that's a luxury problem. I don't need a cell phone. I can live without a cell phone. And I just keep focusing on those sorts of things. And gratitude being part of it um, has just been an amazing uh, part of my recovery. But certainly there's times when I don't know how to handle things and it's getting better. And, you know, the promises tell us that we'll, you know, suddenly realize that, you know, God is working for us when... We didn't know what to do, that these intuitive thoughts come. And they're coming more and more frequently. But then there's other times when they're not there. I don't know why that is. But it's, you know, it's how I've lived for many, many, many years. But being able to catch myself when I'm thinking that way or I'm about to write an email uh, or send a text or make a phone call and being able to stop and just pause for a moment when agitated. I still don't have that, uh, I don't have that where I want it to be, but it's getting better. I want to get a t-shirt that, that has the pause button on it and underneath it says, when agitated. I have a t-shirt that I wear, it's 417 acceptance. Um, and I figure if I go out in public, if somebody sees that and they say, oh, I like your t-shirt, you know, found a, found a fellow member. Um, so, Talked a little bit about, you know, what it was like growing up. I had a very good childhood. I had what I wanted. What it was like when things got out of hand. And now, at this point in my life, my life has gone from this in the beginning, when I stopped drinking, to kind of this, you know, like I'm in the Pacific, in the doldrums of the Pacific, where the boat is just kind of very nicely rocking up and down and side to side. Um, and there are times when it gets a little bit rockier. But in the past, I had lots of bad days, occasionally a good day. 
in those bad days, occasionally something good would happen. Now it's mainly good days, and occasionally there's a bump in the road, and I'm able to see that bump for what it is. Now, is this going to continue for the rest of my life? I don't know. I really don't know. I do know that I need to continue what I'm doing. I learned a lesson last fall. I was starting to think that, you know what, meetings are just not doing it for me anymore. I'm not getting anything out of it. I've heard Chris back here say his thing a hundred times. And what I forgot is that I'm not there for me. I'm there for somebody else. That's why I should be going to meetings. And that came to me when I was at a meeting with my uh, sponsor. And before I went to that meeting, um, my significant other and partner had said, are you going to tell your sponsor that you haven't been going to meetings? And I went, yeah. Uh, are you going to ask him what to do? Yeah. Are you going to tell me what he said? Yeah. And I didn't have to do that because there was a reading there that pointed out to me and I got that message from my higher power that I go to meetings for other people. There are still times when I don't want to go to meetings. When Chris asked me the other night to, to be a speaker, I was like, no! And I went, yes! <laughs> because I knew if I do this, I'm going to feel better. So from a very selfish perspective, I know I'm going to feel better. Why is it that when I don't want to go to a meeting, I know I'll feel better, and sometimes I go and sometimes I don't, but I know I'll feel better. I, I don't understand why that happens. Same thing with exercise. When I exercise a little bit, I feel better, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to the meeting. I want to sit on the couch. I want to watch TV. I'm tired and all that sort of stuff. But that different view of why I should be at meetings has been really, really helpful. And I think hopefully that's what will happen, you know, for the rest of my life, that I'll have these periods of realization, these intuitions about why I'm supposed to do certain things that I'm supposed to do. Um, let's see. I'm kind of blanking out here. Um, I've, I've told my story so many times recently, it's just kind of all lost. I, I've lost it from my head. Um, oh, uh, a very... So I got sober in May of 14, no, 16. In March of 17, I had a real bad bicycle accident. Um, I was out, I was doing a training run, I hit a pothole and I crashed and I broke my shoulder and my ribs and I, I was a mess. And my buddy Mike here drove past me and uh, he says that I'm the reason that he got sober. But I don't know, I was laying on the ground, I was a mess. But. Um, Apparently, as because I'm in recovery and I'm part of a professional monitoring program, I was telling people I need a drug test. I, you need to do a urine test. You need to do an alcohol breath test because I have to prove that I wasn't um, that I wasn't using. And I had done that multiple, multiple times. And when I finally kind of woke up in my room at Reading Hospital, they had written. We've done your drugs test. Please stop asking. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing, before I had that accident, I kept thinking, you know what? I need help. I don't know how to ask for help. God, I need to slow down. 
work is too much. And I was going on and on like this. And my higher power said, hmm, I have an idea. I know how I can slow your ass down. And when I fractured my arm, I wasn't allowed to drive for, I think, six weeks. So I had to call and ask people to pick me up for meetings. I had to learn how to ask for help. Uh, and that was pretty hard. One of the most interesting things that happened uh, during that time I was in the hospital, I had the injury on Saturday. Sunday morning, I went down for a CAT scan, MRI, I can't remember which. And when I came back to the room, I was feeling really anxious. And I thought, ooh, some morphine or oxycodone or something like that would be great now because I had those as an option for pain. And the, the sirens went off almost immediately. Because I'm thinking, I'm feeling anxious and I want to get high. So at the time, we had a pretty large Facebook group from all the people I'd been at Karen with uh, the summer before. And I posted on there, and one of my buddies got back to me, and he said something really simple. He said, if you take the pain medicine for pain, you're fine. Anything else, not good. So for me, those kind of really simple things, like I don't have any problems because I don't make myself problems. Um, I have everything I need. Uh, most of the problems in my life are luxury problems. Um, knowing that, you know, if the time comes when I need to take pain medication again, I take it for pain and not for another reason. Um, well, I'm blanking out. I usually just keep talking and talking and talking and don't start and stop. Um, and this will sound really good on the podcast, these awkward silences. <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the things that in the beginning... Um, I did, and I think I was told to do this. I, I don't remember. Initially, when I was at Karen, I was incredibly judgmental, very judgmental. I would see somebody and say, I don't like his beard, and I don't like her tattoos, and I don't like his hat, and, blah, 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 blah. and I do all these things. And I was told that you have to go up and talk to every single person you can talk to at Karen. And I would talk to the person in front of me in, in the meal line and behind me, and that started to make me realize, you know, these people I'm judging are just like me. They're just like me. The other thing I started doing early on, and I think I was told, but those first four, five, six days, I, my brain was not really working that well. But I would stop. If anybody was at Karen back then, uh, there was a butt hut outside detox, and people would go out there who were in detox, and they'd have a cigarette, and they're usually out there like this. You know, they're detoxing, and I'd go up, Four days sober and say, it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> Four days sober, what do I know? But I, I realized that even with a couple days more sober than somebody else who's just in, that can have a big impact. And the things that I say can have a huge impact. I've heard people, I've already told you a couple things that I've heard in meetings, and they continue to help me in my sobriety to this day. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't think about, I've got everything I need. And we never know when we're gonna say something in a meeting. And this is not something that I've made up. I'm not brilliant. This is something that's come down from that 
first meeting with Bill and Ebby when Bill kind of got the idea of what sobriety was all about. Um, and this comes from the wisdom of tens of thousands of our brothers and sisters before us. And it's come to me and I can pass it on, right? That's what I'm supposed to be doing. <clears throat> um, the one thing, the biggest problem I have right now is uh, with a relative. Uh, it has to do with uh, my mom's estate, very difficult relative who's giving us a lot of trouble. And this time last year, we were trying to get things settled. And um, I was really struggling. Lots of anger, lots of nasty texts and so forth. And I went on a trip with a bunch of friends that I met on an online meeting. Uh, it was a camping trip. And I was sharing with them, you know, what do I need to do? I, I, I don't know how to deal with this. And we talked it through and uh, finally one of the members who's been sober for a long time, he said, you just gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. And I've been able to do that since listening to him. I've been able to just get a little worked up about it, but say, you know what, it's out of my control. She is who she is. I can't do anything about it. And that's been also another really important part of my recovery is that whole idea of acceptance in page 417. Uh, I'm hoping with the fifth edition, it's still page 417, but I'm afraid it might change and we'll have to come up with another page for it. But, you know, I, when I first heard that, I thought, this is ridiculous. Um, I don't have to accept somebody else's behavior. I don't have to accept what they're saying to me. I do. Right? I have to accept other people exactly for the person they are. And I have to accept this relative for the person that she is. She's sick. She needs help. I'm not going to be able to do anything about it. I don't have to like it, and I don't have to deal with it. And there's been lots of nasty texts and emails recently, and I see them. I close my phone. I don't read them. And in that sense, I'm really, really grateful to this program and especially that meeting last uh, summer for remembering acceptance and being able to turn things over and so forth. So I don't know how long I'm supposed to talk, but I'm happy to <laughs> stop and take some questions or shares or Sounds whatever. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. You can also find a link for this in the description below. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.